Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I am joined by Rachel Haley. Rachel is the co-founder and CEO of Claris Designs. Rachel started her career at Hall Capital Partners in the Portfolio Management Group, focusing on portfolio management, market analysis, and financial modeling. After Hall Capital, Rachel moved to Salesforce to work in the finance and strategy department. In 2015, she co-founded Claris Designs, which now has more than 100 employees globally. More recently, Rachel worked as a senior director of sales operations and strategy at Snowflake, where she helped the company grow from 300 people to more than 2,000 and more than 10xing annual revenue. Rachel's core focus is flawless execution. She says, I'd rather have a suboptimal strategy with flawless execution as opposed to constantly shifting strategy to fit a particular box. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Absolutely. So what I am really passionate about is, I would say, excellent operations and clear, concise goals to really help your business scale. I think that being able to prioritize and be able to execute on those goals really well is exactly what allows companies to scale. And it's something that I've built an entire business around. I love it. Can you tell us a little more about your story, your journey to become this expert in flawless execution and sales and company scaling? Yeah, I have a bit of a unique story. I started off in finance, as you mentioned. And so when I was working there, I had a really good view of what made people's investments portfolios really skyrocket. And it was interesting because I had a lot of exposure to uh, private equity and venture capital. And it was during those times I realized that truly the primary drivers of a lot of this value were derived from these small companies like Instagram at the time when I started working or Square, Salesforce that were able to kind of incubate an idea and really build something transformative and disruptive in their industry and then breathe life into it and grow it into something very large that was a you know, extremely successful company. And that's when I realized that's where I wanna be is in that action and work within startups. And so I thought about starting my own company at first. I really wanted to build an application to help plan events. And when I would go pitch at a various VC companies, you know, their feedback to me was, well, you don't really have any business operations experience and that's really what's gonna allow you to succeed. And you're also not a technical founder and you're a single co-founder. So you kind of have a lot of elements working against you. So why don't you figure out how to get those skills and in a few years, we'll talk again if you still have this idea. So along that journey, I, you know, built up my technical skill set. I worked at Salesforce to get a better understanding of how operations works. And then I um, also just started uh, networking in my, in my, in my circle. And I, I found a colleague of mine who was also building out a, um, a business intelligence group at a company called AdRoll. And he was answering questions for a bunch of his colleagues, as well as people in his network on how to best deploy revenue in a particular company, whether you give it to sales or marketing, et cetera. And I was answering questions while I was at Salesforce with people in my network on like how to actually build processes on the Salesforce platform to allow their businesses to scale. And then we came together and realized, wow, there's a huge need for this here. We should really 
find a way to build a business around this. And that's how Claris Designs was born. Uh, I was born in 2015 and we just sort of fell into it and then we're able to gain traction really quickly. And now we have a company that helps small to mid-sized companies scale their operations and grow their revenue. Love it. What's the biggest success story or home run that you've hit so far in your career? It's a good question. I think, I don't think I have one just really big success story. Uh, in my mind, I think success is a lot of small actions that you take over time that build onto one another and have a compounding impact. So with that said, I would say the fact that we have really low churn for our customers today has been a really, is a great success story. You know, we don't do a lot of outbound marketing. We have a lot of our business is primarily through referrals and we've had customers that have been with us for six years and have never turned and have only increased. So to me, that's been a huge home run. Just the fact that we've been able to maintain this business and grow it at the pace that we have has been something I never would have imagined. Also, I think maybe going from, you know, it was five people in 2015 to now a hundred people internationally and being able to employ an international workforce has been a great experience. But again, that, that didn't really happen overnight. That's happened over right. the course of over half a decade with small little steps building on each other. What's the biggest failure or failure you've had or mistake you've made in your career and what'd you learn from it? I've had so many failures. I think that the biggest thing I've learned is to reorient your perspective with failure. I would say I've had a couple. So I also worked at a company called Snowflake. They recently went public last year. That was great. They, I started with them when I was, when they were only like, you know, 250, 300 employees and only 30 account executives, and then grew the team obviously to over 2000, 3000 people. And one of the things that was really interesting is I had a, a great mentor, a great boss. Her name is Rhonda Larson, who was there. And it was really just her, myself, and one other analyst when I started. It's only three people on the sales operations team. And as the company was growing, our operations team had to scale very quickly as well. And that required, I mean, we ended up going from three people to I think 45 people at one time. It was an insane over, you know, 18 months, 20, no more than 24 months. And such an insane growth story. Wait, didn't, I didn't really understand the true value of any company in my perspective is your human capital. And so really building a culture around that and having hiring and employee retention as your number one focus is probably my biggest learning lesson. I didn't have that. We were not focused on hiring and retaining the top talent. We were focused on getting projects done. And the problem is if you're only focused on the output and the result, and you're not focused on how you're going to get there, things seem to fall apart. So we didn't put as much emphasis on building a good framework around how we hire people today, what's our process and you know methodology for that. But then also, are these people going to be able to grow and scale with the role as the company grows? Is one thing that we noticed is that we would hire people and then the role that they were hired for was a completely different role in six months. So we didn't really do a good job anticipating how quickly the business was actually growing and bringing in people that could not only do the job today, but could scale with the role you know, over six, 12, 18 months. And also putting in place a recruiting engine to be more proactive as opposed to reactive, because when you're reactive, then you just, you need to start getting 
bodies in their door to really help. And so we didn't put as much emphasis on that. I didn't specifically. And that was a huge learning lesson. I think we, we ended up getting, you know, employees that weren't right for the role or it wasn't good timing, et cetera. And ultimately it caused a lot of additional stress that was unnecessary. And I think from that, I've just been able to really reorient my perspective on how to properly hire, maintain and grow and develop great employees. Because again, it's your number one resource at a company. If you, if you don't have that, you really don't have much. What is your best monetization secret or strategy? So I sort of touched on this a little bit for Claris, what's worked well for us is having a really good product and really good, and I'm saying more about that, a really good customer service. So we always try to put the customer first and perform excellent services for them to the extent that we can and really deliver on all of our objectives. And so with that, we've been able to maintain a really high retention rate among our customers and then a very happy customer base. So a lot of our customers, actually, I would say 95% of our revenue has come from inbound referrals and customers just speaking to one another in their networks and saying, hey, you know, we've used Claris Designs. They were really help. They were really good at helping us build out a outbound model for our SDR team or automatically helping us route leads or connecting our Marketo to Salesforce or whatever, fill in the blank. And that's worked really well for us as we just do as good of a job as we can, maintain a high level of customer service and excellence. And then the rest has really just taken care of itself. So it's been really great. And we've been really fortunate to have such a loyal customer base. And then ones that are actually very interested in recommending and referring us to, to other partners that they work with. Love it. What do you feel is the biggest or best tectonic shift that's happening and transforming the business landscape today? So I think we're in the thick of it and we've also been doing it for about a year and two months now, but I would say remote workforce. It's very interesting. I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how the next five years develop, even the rest of this year, as the economy will continue to reopen once you know uh, normalcy returns after our COVID pandemic. So a lot of companies that I see now, given the fact that they had to go from you know fully in person to 100% remote, and now they're slowly opening up their offices again, we're experiencing a bit of a hybrid model. So you can have people who work some days in the office and some days from home, but that's going to save companies a lot of money because you know. In theory, they won't need to buy as much real estate to actually house so many people full-time all the time. There'll be a rotating schedule. But also more importantly, I think it allows us as entrepreneurs or business owners or just in general to expand opportunities to different parts of the world, the United States, absolutely, but definitely globally. We no longer have to approach recruiting and hiring in more of a black and white box. Like, well, do you live in San Francisco? Because you have to live here to come to work here. Well, you could really, you know, theoretically live anywhere. And that's just going to allow us to get exposure to different types of talent all over the world. And companies, I think are going to have to be much more competitive with their, their salaries and what they offer and also learn how to foster a culture remotely, which is really challenging to do. I struggle with that with my own team since everyone is virtual. 
And I think that's going to be a really interesting transformation in our business and the companies who can do that really well and employ people from all over the world and country, I think they'll have such a diverse skill set that that will give them a competitive advantage. And in addition, they're saving money, right? Because they don't have as much overhead cost as well for to house employees. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that leveraging of the remote workforce. Definitely a huge tectonic shift. One of the other tectonic shifts we talk a lot about is recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing this in almost every single major company shifting to, to recurring revenue. Do you have any secrets or strategies or stories you'd like to share with us about recurring revenue? So recurring revenue is an interesting business model because, well, investors really love it because it's predictable. So having spent most of my career in a SaaS-based industry or something that has recurring revenue, I think the biggest thing to focus on is that Yes, it's a new shift. It's very transformative. Investors love it if you're a public company. However, the biggest thing that you have to focus on is your customer retention and churn because that consistent revenue is the lifeblood of your company. So if you don't focus on the dollars leaking out and you're just focusing on top line growth, you will be in a bad spot quickly. So I've seen a lot of companies who have really solid top line growth and they have a recurring business model However, they don't focus on churn and it's, you know, they're not in that great of a a position to really grow and leverage and scale their business. And the best way to focus on churn is providing consistent value to that customer. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. Yes. Put the customer first, as I mentioned, provide that consistent value, be there, listen, take in their feedback and adjust as best you can to service their requirements. The customer, your customer base will also make or break you, right? In addition to your employees, if you have happy employees, they can provide a good service and help your customers, which in turn will, you know, they will absolutely be your number one secret weapon in terms of really scaling your business. You talk a lot and teach a lot and consult a lot about how to scale and grow a business through sales operations. And, and one of your uh, one of the elements of that that you love to talk about a lot is flawless execution. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to go through and share with us your secrets and strategies and stories of how to grow and scale your business? Sure. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is that there's, I can share all of the information that I've learned. However, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll apply directly to your business model. You know, there's never just one right answer. There are a million right answers. So I'm happy to go into detail, but I don't think this is, you know, the, the, the gold, the only thing that will work. So, sure. anyway. <laughs> so you yeah. talk a lot about a prioritization framework. Mm-hmm. What is that? So for me, the number one thing that you have to do in terms of operational execution, which is hitting your goals, is figure out what those goals are at first, right? So I think as simple as this sounds, a lot of companies overlook the value of setting out key objectives for that fiscal quarter or year or some half a year, et cetera. You you would think that's a pretty simple thing to do, but the problem is everyone has their own set of agenda or their own agendas in terms of 
what they think is the most pressing issue for that year or quarter, and then everyone's sort of running in different directions. So I think the first thing that you have to do as a leadership team or as a solo entrepreneur as well is figure out what are your goals for this time period. And let's pick, you know, you know, no more than five. Let's narrow it down and say, okay, we want to grow our user base by X. We want to grow revenue by Y. We want to reduce churn by X or whatever it is. So figure out what that is and make sure there's a consensus and that those goals are very clearly documented and, and well understood. Even though it sounds really simple, I think it's commonly overlooked. And one of the biggest challenges I see when I work with these startups is, you know, the CMO says one thing, the CFO says another thing, the CEO is saying something different and the CRO is saying, well, no, I just need to hit my number. And having that misalignment creates inefficiency. So one, establish a set of goals. What are we doing? Does everyone know exactly what they are? Are we all on the same page? Okay, number two, figure out everything else that you're working on and prioritize accordingly. So when I think of prioritization framework, you know, I always align by the Eisenhower prioritization framework, which is like, is this important or not important? Is it urgent or not urgent, et cetera? And obviously you should be working on the important, but not urgent. That's like more of your strategic things that you're trying to focus on as often as possible and then important and urgent, you should minimize that because really, if you have a really good system, there should be fewer fire drills. But that is more of a tactical day-to-day. -day. I would say bigger picture, how I think about prioritizing is after you've set out those company goals and objectives, I just was speaking about, make sure that all the projects and the underlying things that your team is doing or that you're doing in that given period are directly impacting that. To the, to the best of your ability, right? So if you have major projects that you're scoping, if it's not directly impacting the company goal, well, then let's defer it for a quarter or two quarters, or even next year. And let's even figure out if we need to do it. A lot of the times we don't really understand the impact a project is going to have. It's just something that business leaders are asking for or someone is requesting. But if you really take time to sit back and be like, okay, if we do this, does this actually get me close to my goal? Yes or no? If the answer is no, you should not do it. And if it's yes, but not, this isn't what we should, this like, it won't help as much as something else, then you should defer it. So really making sure everyone can align on those goals and then everyone knows exactly what projects and things are going to work to actually get you closer to those goals, like the next best thing. Then thirdly, I would make sure I would just like stress the word communication and transparency and over communicate and simplify exactly what it is you're working on and how you're going to do it. So if the goal is to increase revenue by a certain percentage and we're going to build this marketing process that allows us to automatically route our inbound leads and then follow up with them, et cetera, et cetera. And we think that that's going to help us raise our revenue, make sure that the entire team, your team, everyone else is very clear on what the objective is and how we're going to go about doing it. A lot of the times, like if the top level aligns, but then the bottom, you know, workforce isn't clear either on what's going on, that level of miscommunication also creates a lot of inefficiency. So if you can well document what the goal is, what projects you're doing to help get you to that goal, 
and have a clear understanding of how that's getting done and what everyone's roles and responsibilities are within that particular objective that is you're solving like 85% of the problem. To prioritize the, the projects and the work, the assets. And clearly okay. communicate. It sounds very simple. And a lot of it is, I'm sure people are thinking, well, obviously. However, to actually sit down and do it, I, very few companies actually do that. It's, you'd be surprised. So you talk a lot about flawless execution. And obviously, clear communication is a very important part of flawless execution. What else do we need to do to achieve flawless execution within our companies? Great question. So in addition to the good, clear communication, which is a big part of it, I would say the other thing that I often find problematic or I see is problematic for a lot of the companies um, that we work with is they have a particular goal in mind. So we're going to grow our account executive workforce by, you know, 30%, 50%, et cetera. We need to hire this many new people and we're going to approach selling in this particular way. For example, we're going to carve out territory models. Like we'll have geographic territories. We'll have someone who actually physically sits in New York and they cover New York Metro. Someone who seriously physically sits in Washington and they cover the Pacific Northwest. And that's, that's exactly what they think will work. And then they get it and they start to go about the process and they hire the reps and they get people situated and they have a good process to getting everyone there. And then what happens is they're not seeing the results immediately um, as anticipated. And so it's, let's say it's been like, you know, three weeks or so since everyone has been settled. And then because they're not seeing these results, they'll switch the, the, the strategy one more time. And they'll say, okay, well, instead of doing it this way, let's do it this way. And let's just hire a bunch of people. Let's put them all in Denver. We'll, we'll create a call center. We'll just pound the phone. We'll do it this way. And then they try that. And then that, that doesn't yield the results right away either. So then they try something else. So when I mention flawless execution versus constantly switching your strategy, what I mean is let's figure out what we think the best way to achieve our goal is as a single person or as a leadership team. And then let's make sure that we have a structure that's in place that will operate efficiently and well to really allow us to prove or disprove that strategy. So many times we set something up and the reason it's not working isn't because it was a bad strategy, but because the execution of it wasn't properly implemented. So, you know, really take the time to, to figure out, is the strategy that we're implementing truly bad or have we just not really given it our full appreciation and structure and setup to really let it grow and flourish. So making sure that everything is working and that you can't really point to anything from an execution perspective that's problematic. And I'd give it at least three months to make sure that it truly is not the right strategy for your business versus it was really just poor execution. Because if you end up switching so much, the opportunity costs and the switching costs become far more expensive than a suboptimal strategy that was executed really well. Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. One, the number one thing we have to do to achieve our goals is to set the right goals and communicate those goals with the entire team. Number two, we should develop a prioritization framework by deciding what is most important for us to reach our goals. 
all of our projects and daily tasks should align with those priorities. Number three, our team needs to understand our main objectives and how we are planning to meet those objectives. Number four, when we put our customers first, everything else seems to fall into place. Number five, we should be intentional about who we hire and make sure we are hiring the right people for the right jobs. To learn more about or connect with Rachel, you can connect with her on LinkedIn or visit her website at clarisdesigns.com. And there's links to both of these sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like, comment, and share. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in scaling your business. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.